The Title Block, episode number seven, Alan Stitchbury, part one. Welcome back to The Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. I am your host, Michael Cruz, and today I begin my interview with designer Alan Stitchbury from Victoria, B.C. We start with a chat about his early years in Victoria and Edmonton, and the shows that sparked a 30-year career in Canadian theatre. The audio is frankly low quality, and I apologize for that. It took a lot of effort to clean it up uh, to make it what it is, uh, and I have remedied the situation for my next Skype interview. Uh, we'll just have to sit through this one for now. You can find the show notes at thetitleblock.com forward slash episodes, but here now is my chat with Alan, and I will see you after the interview. Alan Stitchbury has designed sets, lights, and costumes for theaters all across Canada. He has also designed in the USA and Thailand. He graduated from the University of Alberta in 1978, and in 1988, he became a professor at the University of Victoria, and since that time has balanced a career as a professional designer and a teacher. Recent theater productions include set the set for Mice and Men, The Wars, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for Theater Calgary, and set and lighting for Communion at Alberta Theater Projects. Recent opera productions include set designs for The Rake's Progress and The Flying Dutchman at the Pacific Opera Victoria and Barber of Seville at the Vancouver Opera. Alan has recently established a student exchange between Bangkok University and the University of Victoria. The first students have just returned to Canada having spent the last six months in Thailand working and studying at Bangkok University. Alan, welcome to the title block. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be speaking with you. I'm really excited to have a conversation about your early career and your approach to design. Um, so let's get right into it. How Now, I, I understand you were a member of Actors Equity before you became a designer. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. I uh, joined Equity in 1974 as a stage manager. As a stage manager. And you worked uh, how long for, uh, at, that, uh, at that career before you decided to Well, I, I gave up my Equity membership in 78, but I'd have to say that I wasn't terribly active as a stage manager other than, say, in the early, you know, the, the, probably by about 75, 76, by 76, I was pretty much done. And how did you make that choice to begin with? Like, what, what brought you to the theater in the first place? Oh, well, that, that was all about girls. <laughs> uh, of course. It, when I was in high school in Saskatoon, I, uh, in the last part of uh, grade 12, I started going out with a girl who was very interested in theater. And um, at the end of grade 12, 1971, it was time to go out hitchhiking across the country. So a buddy of mine and I uh, started hitchhiking across the country and uh variously ended up in Vancouver during the Gastown riots and all of us ran away to Victoria shortly after that. And uh, it was in Victoria that I discovered uh, the University of Victoria 
And I thought at that point in time that I was going to be a lawyer. I had a scholarship to go to the University of Saskatchewan to study law. So that was pretty much all I had in my mind. But um, I decided while I was in Victoria that it looked like a whole lot nicer place to live than Saskatoon. So I gave up my uh, scholarship at the University of Saskatchewan and enrolled in pre-law courses at the University of Victoria. But uh, while I was in Victoria, I didn't know anybody at this point in time. So I was uh, had a car by then. And I remember one day driving downtown, picking up a hitchhiker who was an actor and she was going to do a show downtown. So I dropped her off and uh, she gave me a comp ticket to a show. So that was my very, very first show was giving a hitchhiker a ride in 1971. And uh, I, I don't know if I really liked the show or didn't like the show. I can't truly remember, but I do remember later on that year at school becoming quite bored with some of my classes, uh, economics and political science and large sociology and psychology classes. And the only small class that I had was an English class. And in that English class, there were a number of uh, students who were in the theater department. So I started hanging out with them, hanging out at the theater, uh, ended up dropping my economics course and taking good old theater 100 and just found that I found people and something that I, I truly enjoyed, although it was a brand new experience for me. So 1971, I went to theater for the very first time. By 1972, I had switched my major and was studying theater. It's incredible that you started out in Victoria and you've ended up sort of making a, a career of that. Yeah, now, remind me, remind, remind me again of where where you where you grew up. I grew up in. I was born in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and uh, grew up. Went to elementary and high school in Saskatoon. Oh, I see. Okay, and would, well, and I can imagine why uh, Victoria would be very appealing, especially in the summer. Oh, or sorry, excuse me, in the winter. It, it was. It was amazing to me. I, I had no idea that such a thing actually existed in Canada. <laughs> right, of course. And what was the, now you were, you, Theatre 100, that, that does it for most of us, I think. Yeah. But what, what was the theatre scene, did you have a sense of what was going on in Victoria as far as the art scene and the theatre scene in the early 70s? Or was it, uh, we did just sort of stick to on campus? No, there, there was quite a bit, actually. The 70s was a very active time. We were coming out of that 1967 era and Canadian nationalism and the drive to have or the desire to have new Canadian plays and have plays that, and art that, that talked about and talked to Canadians. Um, so even, even in Little Victoria, and Victoria was really tiny then, uh, there was the Bastion Theatre, which was the sort of regional company. There were a number of amateur companies, uh, most of which still exist today. And there was this Company One, which was started by uh, a man from the University of Victoria named Carl Hare. And they did sort of touring shows of mostly historical Canadian shows, um, a bunch of platforms and actors carrying flashlights. And uh, as well as that, uh, the the Belfry Theatre also got started in the early 70s in Victoria. So it, it was actually quite an active community. Uh, there was 
there were independent press, there were lots of artists around. It was it was actually a kind of a busy scene and Vancouver was not very far away. Right, of course. Well, that's terrific. Now, what um what was there anything that sort of made you want to switch into design or did you have a notion of um after doing it for a little while this is exactly where you wanted to land? Hey, that's a, that's I don't think I knew for a while. I I think that I landed in stage management because I had some sort of facility for it. And it seemed in the early 70s, there were more jobs than there were people to do them. So if you just sort of stood up uh, and said, oh, I'll do that, then, then you got hired. It's so different today. Oh, my God. It's so different <laughs> for, the, for the students today. But in at that time, I, I tried stage management. I also tried some lighting design at school, although I, I certainly didn't know very much. I got a a job in a summer theater company through the university and ended up doing all the lighting. Although my entire lighting experience up to that time was a 30 minute class with the technical director who was on his way to Tennessee. Right. So, you know, so I, I landed at, uh, in school and I started doing some things, but I only lasted in the theater program at, uh, at UVic for one uh, one year and a few months, uh, it was a time of you know enormous unrest and lots of protesting about everything, particularly anything American. And so it turned out that most of the faculty were all imports from the United States. It was the time of the Vietnam War, so everybody was protesting and uh, asking all these or telling all these professors that they had to go home. Right. So a, a whole bunch of them decided that they'd had enough, and so they, they did all leave. It, it was at that time that the department kind of fell apart. Well, it didn't fall apart. It just sort of morphed, and one of the people who left the department at that time was a man named Wolfgang Baba, and Wolfgang went downtown to Bastion Theatre and started working for them as their technical director and carpenter. And he asked me if I would come along. So I worked a little bit in the shop and also worked as an assistant stage manager. And by the next year, they asked me if I would be the lighting designer instead of doing those other jobs, because I turned out to not be that good as a, uh, a stage manager. At least I didn't think I was, or maybe I was just bored with it, and certainly not as a carpenter. So I started working as a lighting designer. Uh, there were some really interesting designs and some of the people who are still still out there working today, people like Ed Coatman were designing at the Bastion. But you know, honestly, I thought there's something that more that it could be. I, I felt that it could be better. And I didn't know how to make it better. I had no training. I had my only experience in design was what I had seen really in Victoria and maybe a little bit in Vancouver at that time. So I decided that the, after having worked at Bastion for a couple of years, that I would go and apply to some schools. Right. And what, what, what was there anybody to help you make that, to, to help you make that choice? Or was this, were you kind of stumbling around in the dark? I guess there was enough people out there to, to sort of help mentor those decisions. Was there, was there not? Yes. 
but there was one man who was particularly important, and, and that was a, a man named Bill West here in Victoria. Uh, Bill, after all the Americans left, uh, had been, up till then, Bill had been a high school teacher teaching art in Victoria and doing a little bit of theater work. But when all the Americans left, he got hired to become the design instructor at the university. And it was in that one year that I did spend at the university that I kind of latched on to, to Bill as a mentor. And he had a, a really exciting, to me at the time, habit where you would sit down at a table to have a conversation. And the first thing he'd do would be bring out a pad of paper or a, uh, a sketchbook and put a pencil on, the, on top of the book and put it in the middle of the table and then say, OK, now we can talk. <laughs> so it so it was at that point that I decided I needed to learn how to draw. Right. I, I had no I had no background. I had no background in art, no background in theater. Um I just had found that it was the the people that attracted me, the the collaboration, the the working with other people to create something that I, I found really enjoyable. And Bill was the one who really encouraged me to to look at design as as a way in. Terrific. Now, I, I, one of the things that sort of has bothered me when I did my original training, and I, I trained in the early '90s, so this is much, you know, much later after many of the schools had sort of been well established. Was uh, it wasn't really like fine arts training. You weren't doing life drawing. You were doing technical drawing to learn how to communicate your ideas, but to actually collect those ideas and to sketch them out you were sort of on your own um were, did you was that available were those kind of uh, opportunities available available to you in at uvic or uh did you have to find them outside of the the faculty or they, they certainly were not available at uvic um though bill was very much an artist and uh, there was always the discussion of of art and boat building and uh, both craft and full-on art. Uh, there was lots, we did lots of work with uh, woodblock prints and etching and silkscreen and all sorts of, of, of things. But it was when I went to the U of A that I started to really get training. And U of A may have been a bit unique in, in that time period. It really was, if it isn't still, a conservatory program within a university. Right, and what about the, what were the origins of that program? Was it it was obviously well established when you were? Yes, it was very, very, very well established by the time I got there, and and has become even more so now. Um, it dates back. Boy, I can't even. I don't even know when the uh, U of A program began. But by the time I got there, there you know, in design, there were three full time faculty members and. They only took six students into first year, and by the time you graduated, there was maybe one left. So the, the teacher-student ratio was incredible. Mm -hmm. So we did. We, we did life drawing, and we did uh, art history, and we did design history. And, and that program also at that time when I went there, went through a bit of a, a change and a man named Victor Becker from the United States arrived and he brought a, a really ex exciting, at least I found an exciting energy to the program. The faculty members were 
were young and engaged and uh, pretty fresh out of school, doing really exciting work and really pushing us to to do research and to use our imaginations um, to to look for the poetry in a piece, not just learn how to draft it. That's tremendous. Now, this uh, this takes you to what? Where are we in this story? So you had uh, this, this is now the late seventies. This is now the late seventies. I I graduated in seventy eight, and that's when you started your career, kind of officially as a as a designer. Yeah, I I um, had done a little bit before that, of course, at the Bastion Theater, but not really very much. Uh, but in seventy eight, I graduated and. Uh, when I got out of school, I wanted to make some money pretty quick. I, I was uh, lucky again. In the 70s, there was a new theater turning up uh, just about every year. There would be a new one on the block. So it wasn't hard for us to get work. I mean, right. it, so again, like I said earlier in the conversation, it was it's so much different today. But in 78, I landed a job as a designer at CBC, uh, fresh out of school. It was the Commonwealth Games, so there was lots of work to do. And by the end of that summer, well, actually in the year, the last year at school, I'd done some work for a small company in town, which was a, a lunchtime theater company called Northern Light Theater, which has changed its, uh, its mandate since then. But uh, it was a lunchtime theater trying to stretch its wings to, to, to branch out and start doing evening shows. Um, so it, it was an amazing opportunity. I also had the chance to, with one of my, my teachers at uh, the U of A, to design one of those school touring shows uh, for Citadel on Wheels. And I also managed to get some work at uh, Theater 3 at the same time. So, uh, But I, I mostly I worked at Northern Light Theater and became their resident designer. So you, at this point, you've established yourself sort of as a uh, as a fixture in at least three provinces in the West. Yeah. How did you expand? Because your career really, I mean, you started working across Canada quite early. Um, I mean, I think quite early. I mean, these days it takes, you know, five or ten years before somebody yeah. starts to get into the circuit. Um, how did you? First of all, what was the what was the feeling in the West for for Central and Eastern Canada? Uh, and and how did you how did you move across the country? I think everybody thought that we were pretty backwoodsy. Uh, you know, most of the designers and everybody coming in to do work in in Alberta and in BC at that time were from somewhere else, with the exception of say Cameron Porteous at the uh, Vancouver Playhouse, but uh, and Phil Silver in in Edmonton. But uh, you know, most most of the people brought in to do work were coming from the east and they they kind of didn't think we really knew much about what we were doing uh that we weren't that sophisticated um but i i got really lucky i i was working at as i said at northern light theater and uh artistic director at the time scott swan decided to produce a play called wings by arthur coppett and Wings, it, for those of you that don't know the play, is is an incredible piece of theatre. It's it's about ninety minutes long, no intermission. It's the story of a woman who has a stroke, and 
tries to put her life back together or understand what her life now is. And at the end of the play, she dies. And it's, it's a play where design can have such a huge impact. The, the first moment of the play, she, there's a woman sitting on stage alone in a chair, reading a book, and she has a stroke right in front of us. And the next image we see is she's in the hospital. And then the play goes through with her variously being in two different worlds at the same time, the, the world of her mind and the reality. It, it was an, an extraordinary piece of theater and I, I read it and I went, what the heck do we do with this thing? How, how, how do we go about making this somehow alive? And two or three different things happened for me. One was I was, uh, I had my, my father won a free ticket to go to Las Vegas. He didn't want to go. So I took the ticket, of course, and decided to go to Las Vegas for the weekend. And I remember going up and up and down in the elevator and the elevator was, had mirrors on all four sides. And of course I was multiplied multiple times inside this elevator. That, that image stuck with me and it, it felt like that had something to do with wings. Mm -hmm. Then another moment happened when I was waiting for the bus outside the Woodward's department store, uh, downtown Edmonton. And I found myself standing there sort of late at night and looking at the mannequins in the window and I could see my image in the window as well, not my reflection there. And I, I could actually reach out and my image could touch the mannequin in the shop window. Right. And I went, that's wings. That's what happens to her. Part of her is one place and another part is another place. Now, if we add mirrors to it and I become multiple multiples, then that would be really crazy. So I, I had no idea how that happened. Okay, so it's a great idea, but what do you do with that idea? And uh, my best friend at the time, uh, a guy named uh, Bob Horlack, was the technical director at the theater company. And I, I, I went in and I sat down with him and I said, I, I got this idea. I have no idea how we can do this, but I want to do this and I want to do that. And I, I want to see multiple images and I want the reflection to be here. And he said, well, I just read something about a product out of Germany that is like 50-50 glass so that we could actually imagine somebody's you know, you can see through it if you like that. And if we put a mirror behind that, then we're getting reflections of reflections. And we could, so I thought, okay. And I put together some kind of quick drawing and, and a model based on this conversation that we've had, but we'd not seen this material. And so we decided that we would still do a design based on this imaginary material, which eventually Roscoe started marketing as a shrink mirror scrim. Mm -hmm. and, and nowadays you can buy it as film to put on your car windows. 
uh, or your house windows. But at that time it was some kind of new spooky product out of, out of Germany. So I I took it to, to Scott Swan, the director and said, this is how I think we should do wings. Now we hadn't had a conversation about the show at this point in time. (laughs) And he quite sensibly wanted to talk more about things. And I said, yeah, but Scott, this is it. This is the idea. This is what I want to do. And I don't want to do anything else. And he said, but, and I said, so I feel really weird saying this, but if you don't want to do it, it's fine, but you'll have to get somebody else because this is all I've got. Mm -hmm. And uh, bless him. He just said, okay, let's go for it. That's awesome. <laughs> said, Let's go for it. And, you know, he, he, he embraced it. And the thing about design always is that no matter what you do as a designer, the director has to embrace it. They have to make it theirs. They have to get to the point where there's nobody knows where the idea came from. Nobody cares. It's just ours. Right. And any time a designer or a director says, my, 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 I think we're all in trouble. Right. It, it's, it's ours and nobody knows where it comes from anymore. Right. But he just took it and he ran with it. Um, he managed to get Ann Casson um, to star in the show, playing the, the lead character. A brilliant company. Uh, sound was extraordinary for the piece. Uh, Bob Horlack put this, um, built this amazing set with these uh, shrink mirror panels that that moved and rotated around. And the show was an astronomic hit in Edmonton in sort of like 1980. Such a huge hit. And then with Ann Casson as uh, a big calling card, Scott sent it out and. I guess it would be different today, but at that time, he tried to market it to tour across the country into the larger theaters, into some of the larger theaters in the country and see who would program it in their season. Today, it might get turned into uh, a co-pro or a quad pro or or some other kind of thing. But So it, it, uh, it went on tour this, the next year with, uh, with Ann Casson and the same sound design, the same lighting design, the same set design, everything. And we ended up playing in Ottawa at the National Arts Centre, having come out of this tiny, tiny little basement theatre in Edmonton. All of a sudden, we're at the theatre at the NAC. How was it received there? I mean, was this the the first time you sort of came out of the West, you yourself? Uh, Was there a lot of of transfer of of ideas between... Between especially the National Theater and uh, uh, or the NAC and uh, and the West, or was this an was this an unusual event? It was a totally unusual event. I I, I think um, it, I think that that one was a combination of, of whatever Scott did, but uh, it may have had a lot to do with Ann Casson being in the lead role. That right. that they thought it was also a relatively hot. Uh, new Broadway item, uh, you know, by a well-known playwright at the time, Arthur Coppett. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we landed with this tiny little show at the NAC and we just, I mean, people were just completely blown away. We were coming out of a 
about an 80-seat theater in Edmonton and managing to sell out the National Arts Centre Theater. We weren't in the studio. We were in the theater. Yes, wow. Uh, and, you know, we played there for a couple of weeks and picked up and moved to Montreal, uh, played at Centaur, uh, again, in the theater, not the studio, uh, won all sorts of awards. The, the write-ups in the uh, Montreal newspapers were astounding and people were starting to really take note of of something uh, we then finished our run there we uh, were in went to calgary played in calgary and uh, then again we we then landed in victoria and played at the bastion theater here and even to this day if if i meet someone who was around then and i mention wings they people still remember it. They, they still remember it. It became a major calling card for me. So I graduated in 78 by, uh, by 1981-82. I was well known all over the country because of one show. That's incredible. Yeah. That's great. And now, but it was a combination uh, of Scott embracing the show, the design, and the extraordinary support that I got from... Uh, the the technical technical director Bob Horlack and uh, and people like Guy Roberts who did the sound design and just it, it just went on and on like that. It's an amazing team. It's a great example of uh, it sounds like of technology sol- solving a problem as well, which is is kind of a a, a theme in theater, especially where you've got a new product or a new uh, you know, an old thing reimagined, um, and something that's that afterwards. I mean, I remember in the late eighties, uh, especially. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Phantom of the Opera used used the the Roscoe Scrim product mm-hmm. to great effect with that mirror, and it was a magical effect that no one had seen before. Um, so that's interesting as well. Um, has that? Do you see? I mean, outside of like the traditional fine arts, it seems like tech. New developments, paint, um, and new techniques tend to drive kind of innovation. Uh, they do. They definitely do. And certainly in those late 70s, early 80s, we were all uh, heavily influenced by Joseph Spoboda and all of his uh, experiments with, with technologies. Mm-hmm. Now, you, ended, you ended up going, speaking of Spoboda, you ended up uh, at the Banff Center in the 80s as well. Yeah, right? I, I, I got to share the room with, with uh, Svoboda. Were you teaching, were you doing workshops there, or were you, were you uh, doing master classes, or what was your role out there? I was designing uh, shows in the theater, and Svoboda was there doing some master classes. Right. Uh, Kevin Lamont told us about this about in, in, the, in episode number two of the title block. We were talking about then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he came back for the summer, and he was like in the lunch line. Right, <laughs> that, that was that was the sort of extent of his kind of contact. <laughs> and and I, I was a bit. I mean, it was still interesting. I mean, the man is a is a giant in in, in theater, let alone theater design. But um, did you did you interact with him? Did you ended up? Uh, I mean, you ended up taking uh, taking master classes with him, or what? What was it? No, what I was did, your interaction just, like? You know, he was in the room. He was just a a presence there. I'd certainly been introduced to Spoboda when I was an undergraduate at the U of A. Uh, one of my teachers, Terry Gunverdahl, uh, had been to the, the Prague Quadrennial and had 
looked at some of Sobota's work. And so we, we, it, we, he was a part of our conversation while I was a, a student. Uh, I also got to meet uh, people like John Burry when I was a, a student at the uh, University of Alberta. And he was a contemporary of Svoboda's and, and kind of a pal. So just meeting Svoboda and, and talking to him. And I remember doing, what was I doing? Um, the importance of being earnest. And, you know, we wanted to set the, the opening scene outdoors and have, uh, you know, twinkly lights coming through the, the trees and creating some effect. And and I, I remember talking to Svoboda about it and he said, you know what? They only remember the first two minutes. After that, whatever you put in their mind, it stays. <laughs> so, you know, from, from that, we did the lighting effect where in the opening minute, two minutes of the show, uh, there was moving moving effect of uh, dappled light coming through the trees. And as the lights came up and got brighter and brighter for the actual acting of the, the comedy, that, that moving light faded out. But you know what? Of course, he was absolutely right. That stayed in the audience's mind. And as far as they were concerned, there was a little bit of breeze and some dappled light coming through the trees. That's delightful. Now tell me about your connection to, to Mike Legan and, and, and uh, in your, in your sort of expansion into, uh, into central and Eastern Canada. You, you were, we were working, I think, uh, YPT earlier, young people's theater in Toronto, Toronto free theater, uh, the grand, yep. uh, pretty early as well. Like that's, uh, you were, you were, you were made. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, you were doing that circuit. I mean, I graduated in '78. By by '81, I was head of design at the Citadel Theatre. It was completely insane. <laughs> uh, you know, I I'm doing seven shows a year at at the Citadel. By '82, I uh, went and did a show in Calgary uh, called Farther West with Robin Phillips directing. And I, I was asked to do the lighting design for that show. And so there's Daphne Dare is the, the set and costume design. Phillips, uh, Robin Phillips is, is directing. The cast is the who's who of Canadian theater. And I'm going, holy crap. But at, at the end of that show, I decided it was maybe it was time for me to leave Edmonton. I'd been there for quite a while now, really only three years since graduating, but I'd been there for a while and I, I thought it was, it was time to, to hit Toronto. I'd met Michael Egan. He'd done a couple of shows at the, at the Citadel while I was head of design, uh, had great conversations with him and found him to be, you know, a really, such a warm, open, funny, uh, guy. And he always said, you know, if you come to Toronto, um, I'll take care of you. I'll introduce you to people. So the, the combination of having met Robin and working with Robin and, uh, and, and Michael encouraging me, I, I did, I, I picked up and went to Toronto and again, I, I must have horseshoes up my butt or something, but you know, the, the first show I land in, in Toronto is at Tarragon. Right. It's a place that, that still to this day, designers all, need to work at Tarragon at some point in time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I was at Tarragon and then I got to work with Robin at uh, 
at Young People's Theater and because uh, he was directing a show and then back to Tarragon and some small shows and, you know, Theater in the Dell uh, doing some of those things. And then before I know it, I'm at uh, what was uh, Can Stage, which is what's at that time uh, Center Stage, designing Katna Hot Tin Roof with um, Kurt Reese directing. And it, it just went on and on like that. It was completely crazy. I, I don't know why. I don't think I was that good. I, I think I was just in the right place at the right time and willing to work hard, but always open to what was going on around me and trying to use what I saw around me. So, you know, at 83, I go to the Grand and I'm working in Robin Phillips rep company designing shows. It, uh, it Everything just seemed to constantly want to click for me. Mm-hmm. And, but at some point, uh, well, in, in fact, in 1988, you end up back at University of Victoria. Yeah, that was, that was one of those strange things. By, by 84, I was um, doing stuff at the VAMP Center. Uh, you know, 80, 80 the, the, the Robin Phillips year came to a crashing end pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so everybody kind of tried to regroup and I managed to find work at Banff. I got, I had been doing some work at MTC uh, in Winnipeg and that was going well. Um, I also started doing some stuff at the Blythe Festival and working in Calgary and all of this started to pull me away from Ontario. And it was 1980, what was it? 88, 80, whenever it was that Calgary had the Olympics, that must've been 88. I think it was 88. Yeah. Um, you're right. So I, you know, I I was uh, I was doing fine. I I was doing stuff. I I had a show at uh, the Royal Alex. I had a show at the Shaw Festival. I had uh, shows at MTC. Um, back at the Grand now under under new management. I I I had some work, but it was this this connection to to Banff that was I was finding most most interesting. And so this combination of the connection to Banff and the end of the the work at the Grand, desire to just try something new. Again, at that time, none of us wanted to stay anywhere more than a year or two. We wanted to just keep moving. Artistic directors typically lasted three years, maybe five max at that time. Uh, so everybody was very, very mobile. And in 88, feeling like it was time to move, Calgary seemed like the place to go. There was the Olympics, so a guarantee of lots of work. Right. And close to Banff, where I was, seemed to be doing a lot, of, a lot of work. And I picked up a Globe and Mail, and in that Globe and Mail was an ad for a position as designer at... University of Victoria, teaching. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, oh, well, I like teaching. <laughs> I, think I, I think I'm enjoying this. I, I, I feel like I 
can can handle this. So I applied for the job and off I went to Victoria to to interview and ironically a guy that I ended up working with have ended up working with a lot after that. I was doing I I got the article in the Globe and Mail when I was in Banff, but then I went to MTC and I was doing a show there and the assistant director on the show at MTC was Dennis Garnham. Mm-hmm. Dennis was an undergraduate student at the University of Victoria. And I started talking to him about the possibility of going to Victoria to teach and he encouraged me. So I went out, I interviewed, I got the job. So uh, when, I, when I got to Victoria, the one of the students in the first class that I was teaching, first design class I was teaching was Dennis Garden, who I've since gone on to work with a lot. Yeah. Now, I'm, just before we go on, I just wanted to make sure that I don't miss the opportunity to ask you about the Robin Phillips year oh, yeah. at the Grand. Now, I, I this was before I sort of you know was a, a, aware of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't start until the early '90s. So, what exactly happened? He was there for a year. Is that right? Yeah, we started in the spring with, and over the summer, the the spring and summer, there were massive renovations to the to the building, trying to get it ready to be a repertory house. I was hired as one of the two lighting designers, the other one being Michael Whitfield. Thank God Michael Whitfield was there because um, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But anyway, between Michael and I, we um, we created the, the rep plot for the main stage and I did most of the shows in the basement and about half of the shows up, upstairs in the main house because Michael was still in Stratford at the time, so he could only do a certain number of shows. But we started in the summer and did uh, Waiting for the Parade, which was also filmed. And there was a partnership deal with a company in Toronto, I think it was called Prime Media or something. And most of our shows were supposed to be filmed at that time. And that was part of the, the funding for the company. Mm-hmm. By Christmas time, however, the end of seasons subscriptions combined with uh, massive expenditures on producing these shows and maintaining an entire repertory company the and the lack of fundraising and the fact that uh, all this TV stuff wasn't really selling I think pretty much bankrupted the company so by Christmas uh, the, the dream was over and we kind of hobbled our way through the, the rest of the season, but by by March, we were done. Mm-hmm. And the company was significantly in debt and had to basically restart itself. Wow. Yeah, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> it seems really ambitious. That they, did this, uh, did the film, did the, uh, the films get released? I think the one of um, uh, Waiting for the Parade did get released, mm-hmm. uh, but I, that may be the only one that did. Oh, no, they also did a production of uh, The Wars. Oh, right. Uh, that was also shot at the same time with the same repertory company, but it wasn't the play being filmed. It was actually a film. 
That was part one of my interview with Alan Stitchbury, speaking to me via a terrible Skype call from Victoria, British Columbia. Next time, we finish up our talk with Alan's later career and his recent work in South Asia. The music for this podcast is Podsafe Music from the band 1990s called See You at the Lights. You can find them at roughtraderecords.com forward slash the 1990s. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It will help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at the TitleBlockCA and on Facebook.com forward slash the TitleBlockPodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to the TitleBlock at gmail.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, or teachers and listen to it while you send someone to get the screw gun after wedging the upstage wall for the set of noises off in the loading dock door. I'm Michael Cruz. And I'll see you next time on the title block.